Sermon number 646, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, May 6, 1973, the title, Operation Andrew. And the text is taken from John, the first chapter, the 35th through the 42nd verses. The Gospel according to John, the first chapter, beginning at the 35th verse. The next day John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking by, here is the Lamb of God, he said. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they went with Jesus. And Jesus turned, and he saw them following him, and asked, What are you looking for? They answered, Where do you live, Rabbi? This word translated means teacher. Come and see, Jesus answered. So they went with him and saw where he lived and spent the rest of that day with him, for it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John and went with Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. At once Andrew found his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Christ. Then he brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. Your name will be Cephas. And this is the same as Peter and means rock. My friend Bill Barker, who is a preacher and a writer and who used to be in Pittsburgh, tells us in his book, Twelve Who Were Chosen, that most of us have at least at least two mistaken ideas when it comes to discussing the disciples and the meaning of discipleship. Mistake number one is committed when we think of those twelve as being individuals who were unusually gifted, exceptionally talented, and just naturally saintly. And mistake number two, we become guilty of that one when we think that to be a disciple today you have to be flashy or you have to look like a certain person or being, that you have to do something dramatic and noticeable before people can recognize you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Both ideas are a total mistake, according to the evidence of the New Testament. And if you need assurance for such conviction, all you have to do is turn to the Apostle Andrew. For Andrew is always one of those disciples that you forget to name when you list the disciples. Never do you find his name first, it's usually fourth. 
He could not preach like his brother Simon Peter. He couldn't travel like Paul. He couldn't think like John. He couldn't write like Matthew. He never made the headlines and he never made any waves. But he was not only one of the first, if not the first, but one of the greatest of all disciples. And the reason was because he brought people to meet Jesus. That's all he did. He brought people to the place where they could confront face to face Jesus Christ. Andrew was a businessman who owned part interest in a fishing outfit out there on the Sea of Galilee. He was an individual who knew that life was something more than catching fish. He knew he lacked something, he couldn't put his finger on it or describe it or name it, but he knew that that something that he should have, he didn't have. And it made him restless like many of us. And he started to look for it, and I assume that is how he came close to that individual, John the Baptist, who had a strange new message, who wore different clothes and had a strange diet, but who made connection with people who were looking for that something missing thing that should have been in their lives. And he and his brother and his friends became disciples of John the Baptist, and when John the Baptist realized that the one whom he had been preaching about and predicting would come had come in the person of Jesus, he pointed all of his disciples towards the Master and says, There is the Lamb of God. And Andrew followed Jesus. And in just a few hours, from four o'clock some afternoon and probably until after the sun set later that evening, Andrew spent time with Jesus. And like anyone who will give Jesus an opportunity and come for a few hours in the presence of the Christ, Andrew found that this was the answer for which he was looking. And he became convinced and put faith in the fact that Jesus is the way, the only way, the truth, the only truth, the life, the only life where you can have meaning, acceptance, and love. So Andrew made a great discovery, a discovery that many people never find as they go through this life playing games, a discovery that Jesus is the Christ, and unless you worship him as Lord and Savior, you're never going to find the happiness that God intended you to find in this life. He made that great discovery. And like many of us who 
have taken a long time to make that discovery. He probably could have kicked himself many times for not making it sooner in life, saving himself and other people a lot of misery and a lot of hell. But he at least made the great discovery. And because he made the great discovery, he got equally involved in giving to it a great dedication. And Andrew was determined that he was going to tell other people about the great discovery that he had found. And we see him talking to everybody and all kinds of individuals about his discovery. And the first place that he went was the most dangerous and difficult of mission fields that any Christian can find, his own home. And he went to that place where it is the hardest for us to reveal what we have found about Jesus, and he began to tell his family and especially his brother Simon Peter what he had discovered. Now he might have preached to Peter such as some people who I know feel this is the way that you help them to become converted. But the Bible has no indication of Andrew preaching to Simon. He might have prayed for his brother, but again the Bible gives no indication of any prayer that Andrew made on behalf of Simon. He might have pled with him to go to church or go someplace to get a bite of the gospel, but again, we have no evidence in the scripture that Andrew told Peter anything like that. But we do have in the Bible two things that Andrew said or did to help his brother become converted. One, in a simple sentence comprised only of single-syllable words. He merely looked his brother in the eye and said, We have found the Christ. And then he took him by the arm, the Bible said, and took him, not sent him, but took him to the place where he could find Jesus. That's all Andrew did. You see, Andrew found out what many of us have not found out yet. It's the Lord who converts and changes people's lives and minds and hearts. It's only the power of his Holy Spirit that can bring on conversion. All we can do is bring people to the place where they can meet Jesus. And that's what he did. And when Jesus met Simon and Simon met Jesus, Jesus found the most powerful of his disciples and Simon had his name changed to Peter, the rock. But all Andrew did was to bring Simon to Jesus. The next time we see Andrew, we see him later on in the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, and there we find him in a great gathering, a spontaneous gathering that had come about because Jesus was in the area and Jesus was teaching. And it 
They said, according to the record, that more than 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, were present. And Jesus became concerned about how these people were going to eat, and he appointed Philip chairman of the picnic committee, and poor Philip was pulling his hair out. Where was he going to find enough bread to feed all of these people? And while Philip was worrying about bread, Andrew was over him here in the corner talking to a boy. A little boy. We don't know how old. We don't know the boy's name. All we know that he was a small lad. And Andrew, important Andrew, was talking to a little boy. And they must have become pretty good friends. At least one thing we can be sure of, Andrew won the confidence of that boy. Andrew didn't be, try to become like that little boy or play games. He won the confidence and the respect of the boy. How do we know that? Because the boy had revealed to him the contents of what was in his lunch bucket. Five small barley loaves and two little fish. And Andrew took that little boy with his potentials, with his possessions, with his possibilities, and brought him and them to Jesus. And Jesus took those possessions, those possibilities, those potentials, and that little boy, and he performed a miracle. And many people's lives were fed and filled because Jesus had performed that miracle a miracle which could be performed because Andrew had brought a little boy to the place to meet Jesus. Andrew didn't commit the miracle, but he gave Christ the opportunity to commit a miracle for the benefit of thousands of people. And next we see Andrew bringing some strangers, people he didn't even know them, their name, he knew they were Greeks, that meant that they were from a different nation, they were of a different race, they were foreigners, and he brought them to Jesus. And as a result, Jesus preaches there in the 12th chapter of John, a great sermon. And for the first time, the gospel is introduced to people of another nation simply because Andrew was not afraid to bring people whom he did not know himself to meet Jesus, the master of the world. He made a great discovery, you see, and then he had great determination and dedication to reveal that discovery. And the best way he knew how to do it was to bring people to Jesus as John the Baptist had brought him to Jesus. Let Jesus worry about the converted. You just get them there. But the thing that I like best about Andrew was that he had a great disposition. I've told some of the 
students that I had in the Bethel teachers classes that I think some of these disciples, though they were powerful and useful for the Lord, they'd have been terrible to live with. Personally, I think Peter and Paul, though great men of the Lord, I think they'd been a little hard to get along with in life, simply because they were such strong individuals, so determined, so sure. But Andrew, I think I would have liked him. I think I would have been like some of the other disciples, like Philip, you know, when, they, when, when Philip didn't know what to do, he went to Andrew. Yet you realize that Andrew, who was the first, if not the first, at least the second, disciple to follow Jesus, he never really made it into the inner core of the power structure. When our Lord went to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, he took Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, he left at home. When our Lord went up into the mountain of transfiguration to reveal his hidden glory to his disciples, Andrew was left down in the valley. When our Lord went into the prayer, agony, that we know he had in the Garden of Gethsemane, Andrew was not one of the three that he chose to have closest to him. You know, that'd be a little tough to take. And especially when you know that you are going to be referred to throughout history, not as an individual, but merely Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, who we all know was brought to the Lord by Andrew. <laughs> you know, he'd been in business with his brother, and perhaps, and there's evidence for it, that the business partners had also included James and John. Now, now, here were at least three other individuals who, when they had to make decisions about buying boats and decisions about where they're going to fish, Andrew was a part of that group. And now, when they became fishers of men, Andrew is outside the power structure. It doesn't seem quite right, does it, or quite fair. And if you would have heard that Andrew had betrayed the Lord or left the group of discipleship, I think we could possibly understand it. But, you know, it didn't seem to bother Andrew at all. Not at all. Oh, I'm sure there were moments that he felt like you and I feel left out when somebody makes a decision that affects our lives, and, you know, we, we don't like that. But Andrew didn't let it bother him. That's why I like him. Because he had a disposition that was really bigger than that of Peter's or James or John's. Because I don't think they could have taken that type of, of abuse. But Andrew did. Because, you see, he knew he, who he was. He knew that if, if the Lord wanted him to preach like Peter and pray like Paul and sing like the angels, then the Lord would have to give him the power to do it. But in the meantime, he would do that which he knew how to do, and that was to bring people to Jesus. Let Jesus worry about what he's going to do with them. Andrew knew his job was just to bring people. And I think the reason he had such a great disposition was because he knew no matter what other people thought or said, he knew that he was in the process of helping to make great destinies. Yeah. 
didn't care if he got the credit. He didn't care if he sat down when his brother stood up to preach and was seen by all the multitudes. Now, because he knew down in here where it really counts in the heart that God needed him to help make great destinies. He had a great discovery. He had a great dedication to that discovery. He had a great disposition, and he had this because he knew deep down within his own soul that he was helping to make great destinies. You ever think what the history of the Bible would be like, or the history of the church, how it would read if there had never been an Andrew? See, that's the way it is in life. And sometimes in wanting the spotlight in the church and in evangelism and in mission, we forget that the ones who really are the evangelists and the ones who are really the missionaries are the Andrews who aren't out in the front, but who are being used by God in the background to help make destinies. How many of you remember the name of Henry Varley? V-A-R-L-E-Y. Henry Varley. Edward Kimball. How about that one? Now, Henry Varley, though, you see, he, he was a preacher at the turn of the century. He was from England, but it happened in Boston. And then there, a, a man by the name of Edward Kimball, who had befriended a young chap who was working for $18 a week in a shoe store, he invited him to go to a church service. And Henry Varley was preaching that night, and he made this last statement, and I quote, The world still waits to see what God can do with a man who will completely dedicate his life to Jesus Christ. And this young $18-a-week shoe clerk, who was not very thrilling to look at, he weighed over 200 pounds, he had a big bushy beard, his eyes were too closely set together, he never went through more than eight grades of school, he said, Lord, if you want, I will be that man. His ministry began, kings, presidents, prime ministers sat at his feet. And it was estimated that by the time Dwight L. Moody died, one million lives had been changed because of his ministry. A ministry that was changed because there were some Andrews present by the name of Henry Varley and Edward Kimball. How about Mordecai Ham? Have you ever heard of Mordecai? He was an evangelist who 40 years ago found himself down in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he was preaching one night, and two boys who had promised their mother were sitting up at the last row of the balcony, like some boys are doing today here in this church. And they were trying to hide behind the big flappy hat of a big woman, or a big hat of a flappy woman, I'm not sure, but <laughs> just like some of these boys were. And they giggled through the whole sermon, and, and they made notes, as some of the kids in the balcony are doing right now. And, and when... Uh, when the service came to conclusion. Mordecai Ham said, All right, anyone who wants to give his life to Jesus, please come forward. And then he pointed up in the balcony, he said, You two boys, you know who you are. Come meet Jesus. And the boys shook with fear. And the short stocky one by the name of Grady, he came down the aisle and he said he knew he was crying. And he didn't dare look at his long-legged, tall, blonde 
high school chum beside him, but he heard him sniffling too. And together, both of them knelt at the foot of the cross and gave their life to Jesus Christ. And though they said they didn't quite realize what all they were doing, they nevertheless gave their lives to Christ at the invitation of Mordecai Ham. Those boys have grown up now. Wherever they preach throughout the world, lives are changed all because of Mordecai Ham. Because wherever Grady Wilson or his boy school chum, Billy Graham, preach, lives are changed because of an Andrew named Mordecai Ham. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I preach this today because I am of a fond belief that what the world needs more than anything else are Andrews. Andrews who are willing, who have made the great discovery, who have a great dedication, who have the disposition and who are willing to bring people to Jesus, knowing that perhaps their only reward is that they are helping to make a great destiny. Now you can do that. Wherever you bring a member of the church, member of your family to church or to church school, to, to the music program tonight, to the John Peterson song, sacred song musical, which will be at Heinz Hall Friday night, or to this film that we've been talking about, The Time to Run. I haven't seen it myself yet, but they tell me that it's still over at Cinemas 1 and 3 at McKnight. will be till Tuesday, Wednesday. It moves to the theater here in the Hampton Plaza and will be there until a week from Tuesday. I suggest that if you can't get members of your family or young children or, or strangers to go to church, maybe you can take them to one of these places. Because you see, Jesus works and lives and can be met in these places as well. I don't know about this movie, but I do know Friday morning I received a telephone call from a person in Pittsburgh who had seen it and offered to me a very handsome check to buy tickets for a hundred young people who want to go see that. Anything that can move a man to become an Andrew it must have some power of the gospel in it. I'm pleading with you because we need people who are not just the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs and the John the Baptists and the people who are profiting and being priests under the kings of today. Those people are chosen by God and made by God. And only God can turn them into rocks like Peter and sons of thunder like James and John, only when they are Andrews bringing them to the Lord. So though not all of us can be in a position where we would like to be, everybody, everybody who has made the discovery himself, anybody can become an Andrew. Father, Help us to realize in life who we are and who thou art. And help us to have the courage, even if we can't sing like angels or 
pray like Paul or preach like a Peter. To realize that because of the discovery you have given unto us, we can have the determination, the dedication, the disposition, and the knowledge that we are helping to make destinies in the tomorrows yet unborn. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.